Well, this morning, we are going to begin a, a brand new series here in our gathering. We're going to start a short five-week series. The series is titled, One Another, Worth the Work. Now, to begin, I want to kind of set the context for this series and what we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks as we go through this time together. And I want to start with this idea, relationships matter. Who we know, who we're closest to relationally Those things shape our lives in very profound ways. It's true for every human being, no matter where we live, no matter what we do for a profession, no matter anything else about us, if we're introvert, extrovert, the the fact is, if it's true for all of us, our relationships matter. Our relationships are really important, and they're really impacting in our lives. Now, some relationships in our lives we don't have any control over at all, but they still impact us greatly. Who we're related to, for instance, is something we can't change. The family that we're born into or adopted into is the result of choices that we do not get to make personally. Now, for some of us, we're really grateful for that. And for some of you, you may be very disappointed by that. If you're disappointed by that, just don't sigh out loud if those relatives are around you this morning, okay? The reality is, though, that none of us get to choose our family relationships, but that has a really big impact on our day-to-day life, right? So throughout most of church, or most of history, really, not just church history, throughout most of history, for example, if you were related to royalty or someone who had great wealth, your life was a lot easier than someone who didn't have a relative like that. If you were related to royalty, you were just afforded uh, benefits. You were afforded opportunities and access to resources and, and experiences that other people just simply didn't have. But on the other side of it, if you were in one of those situations and your family lost their possessions or lost their power, if you just look at the histories of countries like England and Russia and many other places, when a family lost the throne and a new family took over, your way of life would be greatly impacted. In fact, your life could be in danger just because you were related, however distantly, to someone who once held power. That may seem like an extreme example. Sure, sure, who were related to matters you know, back then that way. But no, today there's still a great impact of family relationships on our life. Again, for some of us, it's a, it's a really good thing. Maybe you've heard something like, oh, you're related to him. I love that guy. I'd do anything for, for him, right? And you benefit in some way for that. But for some people, maybe your family relationships aren't necessarily a benefit, a good thing. You know, some of you may have family connections that present challenges for you. You might have to overcome some unfair assumptions being made about you because of something a relative's done. You might have to work a little harder to gain trust because some relative has done something that makes them think your family might be untrustworthy. Right? Just who we are related to impacts our lives immensely. But our relationships, in terms of our family, are not the only relationships that we have, right? We are related, we have relationships with more than just relatives. Again, if you're sitting next to relatives, don't say, oh, praise God for that, right? Our relationships with other people are very important in our lives, too. Today, it's widely understood the importance of relationships in business. Almost every field of work understands who you know is going to be really important to how you do your job, right? Professionals talk about networking all the time. The common expression is it's all about who you know, right? (laughs) LinkedIn and other social media platforms, these, all, these things all exist with the idea of trying to connect us relationally to other people so that everyone can benefit from relationship connections, theoretically at least. And we know this to be true, even on a local level, how you live your life here, most of us are more apt to turn to people we have relationships with when we need something. We need advice, maybe we want to buy a certain type of product, or we want to get some help. You are more likely to ask someone you have a relationship with than a stranger you just see walking down the road, right? 
the level of relationship we have with other people is a huge factor in what we choose to do and how we do it in our lives even today. So we all, I believe, will acknowledge relationships are really important. That's a truth we can all agree on. But here's something we might not readily admit. I hope you will, because church is a place to be honest, and we should be honest. Here's what we also know about relationships, is good relationships are really hard work. Good relationships, they take effort, they take commitment, they take intentionality. And this reality is conveyed to us by the Bible. I'm not just speaking out of personal experience here or sociological data here. We're talking about the Bible that actually teaches us that God designed you and I for relationships, for relationship with him and relationship with other people. Right In the Garden of Eden, God makes it very clear that we are created to be relational beings when he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And so then God creates a suitable helper for the first man, a complementary mate for Adam to have a relationship with. And that relationship that Adam and Eve has was important and it was very impactful, not just on them, but on all of us too, right? Because we live post-Genesis 3, where the relationship between Adam and Eve caused some really big implications for all of our lives. The serpent leveraged the relationship between the man and the woman, and so sin enters into this world, and now all of us, still as relational beings, live in a world that has values relationships and needs relationships, but is deeply broken in our relational connection to one another. Because we're all sinful and selfish and outright foolish in our relationships at times. But nonetheless, we're still relational creatures, as difficult as relationships may be for us now. So in this series that we're starting today, we are going to look a little bit about at what the Bible has to say about our relationships with one another. I've mentioned, to you, I've mentioned this to you before, that in the New Testament, there are 59 direct commands that use the specific phrase, one another. They give us principles for how we are to relate to one another, right? <laughs> These 59 commands are given to Christians to guide us in doing the hard work of developing and cultivating good relationships, the kind of relationships that push back against the brokenness and selfishness that naturally exists in each of us and causes such difficulty, such strife in our lives. And these 59 commands that we have in the New Testament help us begin to reflect the character and the power of God at work in his people as we build relationships in his way. So the title of the first message in this series this morning is Know One Another know one another. Now, a fun thing, I think would be a fun thing, it's a fun thing that I did the last few weeks, would be you can go find all 59 of those commands in the New Testament. But I'll save you a little confusion. If you go and you search and you look through all the times the phrase one another shows up in the English Bible, you will not find a single command that says know one another. In fact, you're not going to find the, the starting words of the first four sermons in this series because I'm, what I've done is I've created uh, the series in such a way that these first four weeks are going to be really summary weeks. I'm going to pull together texts with a lot that ha- use the phrase one another but have a common theme and a lot of different words about how we're to relate to one another all kind of under one umbrella. In this first week, it's the fact that you and I are called to know one another. Our fifth week will be a word that's directly used in the Bible, and you'll find it if you go search those 59 commands. You'll find it as the most repeated command in the New Testament with the word one another in it. So you probably know already what that one is, right? The fifth one, the most repeated one another command is to do what? Love one another, right? Does anyone know what the second most repeated command regarding our relationships with one another is supposed to be? Eric's laughing, so he might, he might know. 
Let me read them to you. Let me read them to you. Romans chapter 16, verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, 16, 20. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Peter 5, 14. Greet one another with the kiss of love. And while it doesn't use the specific phrase, one another, the command's also repeated in 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. So there you have it. The second most repeated command regarding our relationships with one another, how you and I are to relate and interact with one another, is the command to greet one another with a holy kiss. And I find that to be fascinating, that this is the second most repeated thing God would tell us about our relationships with one another. Some of the husbands are like, I love it. It's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's all the brethren, though, so just to Here's what we need to know. This is not a mistake. The God, when he inspired, the Holy Spirit inspires Peter and Paul, in particular the two authors of these various statements that we find here, when he inspired them to write these commands to these Christian churches about how they're supposed to be interacting as Christians in light of their Christian profession, this wasn't a mistake that just slipped in. When we read a command like this, this command to greet one another with a holy kiss, what we need to do is we need to ask some questions. What does this command mean? And what is God telling us through this command? So let me answer that for us this morning in this first sermon. Paul and Peter were telling Christians, greet one another with a holy kiss. That was a literal command. That's exactly what they said. That's exactly what they meant. In that culture, as in many cultures still to this very day all around the world, to greet someone with a kiss was a common form of greeting. It was a kiss on the cheek when you came together. That was how they, they welcomed one another. And Paul and Peter are telling Christians, yes, greet one another that way. Literally, physically, do that act. It's not a metaphor. It's not a coy play on words to make a joke or a certain point. This is their saying. This form of greeting that is common among you, do that with one modifier. Do it in a holy manner. So what does that mean for us? We have a principle here, I think, that's very transferable to our culture, even though the act itself, the physical act of greeting one another with a kiss here in America, that's very uncommon and probably makes most people in this room pretty uncomfortable. First, we should understand, there would be literally nothing wrong with us embracing this as a form of greeting. To greet one another in this way with a holy kiss would be perfectly fine should be something that if we began to do, we would become comfortable with. But that would probably take time for a lot of us. What I find here, though, is that this is not a requirement for us to use this form of greeting, this kiss. This is not the point of what they're telling us. Paul and Peter are not establishing a new way of greeting one another, as if, okay, Christian churches, what will set you apart from everyone else is they're all shaking hands, but for the church, we want to use holy kisses. That's not what they're saying here. They're not talking about how we greet one another Physically, talking about the heart behind, the intention, the relationship posture of our greetings when we do greet and welcome one another. The emphasis is not upon Christians have to use kisses to greet one another. That was the common greeting of the day. That was what people were already doing. What Paul and Peter, what God is saying through them is that he wants us to have an internal motivation that's expressed externally for the other person. He doesn't want their greetings to just be mere ritual, merely cultural. And I know this is true because of Romans 15, 7. 
you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans 15, 7. That's our primary text for today. We find the principle laid out very clearly, this time in language that's a little more easy for us to embrace, even though I think applying it with the clarity that's given in this text actually makes this a lot harder, honestly. Romans 15, 7 tells us, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. So this is what's behind this often repeated command that informs how we would greet one another, how we would welcome one another. It's, it's the heart and the relationship expressed in the greeting, in the welcome, no matter what cultural form of greeting that takes on, whether we use kisses, whether we use handshakes, whether we do that really weird elbow bump thing that they're trying to get us to do. You know what I'm talking about? You seen that? You know, it's like, what is that? You know, regardless of how we greet one another, we're to do it in a way that's reflective of the relationship that we're called to have with one another. We're called to do it in a way that's genuine and affectionate because Christ has welcomed us into his family personally, genuinely, and affectionately. What God's getting at in these verses as he talks about greeting one another is that when you and I interact with one another, when we greet one another, when we welcome one another, it is not enough to simply be polite. It's not enough for us to simply extend a nice, hello. I think the farthest thing from what God really intends is the really surface level interactions that mark so many churches, mark our church as well, where we go, hey, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Good, good. And we're off, right? How many times have you said that on one part or the other, right? You know your response, yes, okay, okay, and we're good. That's not what God intends for his people. That type of greeting, that type of welcoming one another that's just superficial, it's just shallow, it's just ritual that has no meaning behind it is not what God intends for us. God intends for us to be the type of people who would greet one another, who would welcome one another with genuine affection and care because our greeting, our welcoming of one another is not supposed to be a one-time standalone thing about how we interact. It's supposed to be the first of really deep, genuine interactions with one another's lives. All of our actions as Christians are supposed to be genuine, affectionate, authentic, and deep. All of our actions as Christians. There's nothing in the New Testament that says, hey, I get it. You got some other people who have your similar interests. They're going to be the closest to you. That's cool. So just, you know, kind of coast on with most people and have your closest friends. These texts that guide our relationships with one another don't distinguish between the people you really like, the people who share your interests, the people who look like you, who anything, it says, with one another, act this way with all the one another's. Everything in our Christian relationships should be genuine and affectionate and authentic and deep. The reason we cannot have shallow greetings, the reason we can't as Christians be okay with just habitually saying hi or greeting someone formally or superficially is because the Bible tells us that nothing about our interactions with one another should be shallow, half-hearted, or fake. Just listen, listen to this. And we're gonna unpack these verses as we go through this series. But I just want you to hear these words and think about if this is what our relationships are supposed to be like, then my greeting, my welcoming of one another would look a lot different if I know I'm headed towards these type of interactions with somebody, right? Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another. That already makes that quick response. How are you? Good, good. 
questionable sometimes, right? You're not always doing good. Do not lie to one another. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 2 Corinthians 13.11, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. The God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. These commands, and the many others that we're going to look at throughout this series, these actions that we're called to in our relationships with one another cannot be lived out if we are superficial and shallow with one another. To do these things requires us to dig in, to be genuine with someone else, to truly know the person that we're talking with. Just think of this for a moment. How can you obey these verses? How can you bear one another's burdens if you don't know what the person you're talking to may be struggling with? How can you comfort one another if you don't know what grieves the person you're talking with? How could you agree with one another if you don't know what that person you're talking with believes? How can you encourage one another and build one another up if you don't ever get past the shallow, predictable, repetitive greetings and conversations we have about meaningless trivialities? How could you ever exhort one another and help protect and restore one another from sin if you never recognize the reality and the deadliness of sin in our lives? If you're just comfortable staying shallow and superficial, you cannot obey these commands. To live out these expectations, the things given to us in these 59 commands, requires that we truly know one another. And to truly know someone else necessitates that we also be known. Think about it from the other perspective now. How could the people around you bear your burdens if you don't ever share what you're struggling with? How could the people around you comfort you if you don't ever express your griefs and open up to them? How could the people around you encourage you and build you up if you are keeping up walls, you're avoiding having genuine conversations with people, if you're acting arrogantly as if you're superior, more spiritual than other people? How could the people around you exhort you, help protect you and restore you from sin and it's deadly consequences if you don't recognize and ever discuss the reality of sin in your own life. Understand clearly, having a relationship with someone is different than just knowing things about them. A relationship's a two-way street. You have to know them and you have to be known. So, hate to, to burst too many bubbles, but... No matter how much you watch your favorite sports players, and no matter how many stats and facts you know about them, you are not in a real relationship with them. They don't know you, right? Those statements at the end of a press conference or put out on social media, I love you guys, I love all my fans, I love you, that is not true in any meaningful sense. At best, what they love is just the idea of fans, at best, they love the fact that people like them or the fact that because somebody's watching them or following them, they're making lots of money. They love those things. They don't love you. They don't know you. 
So not just to harp on you, right? Personally, this is true for me too. So no matter how much time I spend listening to my favorite theologians, the lectures, the sermons, the podcasts, the videos, how much time I spend reading their books and understanding their thoughts, the reality is I don't have a real relationship with them where I can live out these one another commands because they don't know me despite all the things I may know about them. And a lot of them are dead, so that makes it really hard too. But (laughs) to have a real relationship requires you to know the other person and them to know you. So here's the deal. For, for five weeks throughout this whole series, we are going to look at relationships and we're going to look at these commands that are given to us. And like I said, there's 59 of them in the New Testament. And we've got five weeks. We're going to cover most of them, not all of them. But we're going to cover most of them in this time. And as these commands are given to us and as we hear them, as I encourage you to read them and think about them, we are going to have to personally choose to engage in building these types of relationships if we're going to have them. They won't just appear. You know, I really wish it kind of worked that way sometimes, right? Like I could go, all right, we need better relationships. God's people need to have good relationships with one another. I'll preach for five weeks and we're good. They just happen. Doesn't work that way. You are going to have to choose. I am going to have to choose to work, to do the work of building these types of relationships, obeying these commands personally, or we're going to get to the end of five weeks and nothing will have changed for you. You'll still be floating around in the shallow, superficial waters and you'll still be missing out on all the things that God has for you relationally. You are going to have to take initiative. I am going to have to take initiative to reach out to someone else, to share with them, to open up, to be known by other people. And hear me, you cannot just expect to be the recipient of this. It won't work that way. If you just sit back and think, okay, I'm going to wait for someone to come start a relationship with me, to come know me, but you are not willing to engage, you're not willing to open up, you're not willing to be known by them, no one is going to build a relationship with you. It's a two-way street. You have to know and be known. So the worst response that we can have, the thing I've spent a lot of time thinking about and praying specifically against, is the response that Satan, the enemy of our souls, wants us to have as we come in here, and for the next five weeks we're going to hear these things laid out in Scripture. What Satan wants you and I to do in response to this is to begin to judge other people and to think about their relational failures rather than my own. To have that thought run through your head, which maybe has already been running through your head. Let's be honest. Yeah, You know, that's what the Bible says about how people should act, and he or she doesn't do that. That's why I don't like them very much. Oh, man, that's a a good verse, Pastor. So-and-so really does an awful job at obeying that one. Or even the, you know, if this person really believed these things, then they'd reach out to me. They'd initiate with me. I'm not going to initiate with them. If they believed that, then then they should should prove it. I'm going to wait and see. Any of those responses are the wrong responses. Those are the things that Satan wants us to do to deepen the divides that exist relationally between all of humanity. He wants to increase the irritation we have with one another. He wants to grow us, not in godliness, but in self-righteousness and self-pity. He wants us to do anything except humbly repent of our own sinfulness, recognize our own mistakes, forgive others, for 
real or perceived offenses against us and commit ourselves to the hard work of building and cultivating godly relationships, healthy relationships that live out these 59 commands given to us in the New Testament for one another. Our relationships really do matter. Our relationships impact us personally. They impact those around us. They impact our church life. They impact our communities. Our relationships even impact our nation. And Christians, we are called to pursue and to do the hard work of developing good and godly relationships with one another. So as we acknowledged up front, the reality is we don't always get to choose the relationships that we have. That's true with our own families, right? Physically, but that's also true of the family of God put around us spiritually. The Bible plainly tells every one of us it's God who determines the times and places that our lives occur. He's the one who creates us. He is the one who places us into the specific moments of history that we live in. He's the one who even puts us right in the exact places physically that we live and reside. All of it's done by his divine choice. None of that happened with any input from any of us, right? (laughs) Nobody got to tell God, you know, this is when and where and with whom I'd like to live. And God's like, great, I'll slot you into that part of history. He chose to put you and I here in these exact moments, in this exact place, by his divine will, not by your choice. And so the Bible's really clear about that, and the Bible's even further clear about the fact that the local church body is built by God calling people to himself. He's the one who builds his church, not us. That's true globally, that's true locally, and so since God is the one building his church, he's the one who establishes the brothers and the sisters who we will walk through side by side in this life with through the local body of believers around us. So we kind of joked earlier, maybe you don't really like some of your physical family members that God gave you, but it wasn't your choice, so, you know, nothing you can do. Here's the reality. Maybe you don't like some of the church family that God has put around you. But that wasn't your choice either. God is the head of his church. He is the sovereign ruler of our lives. And the people he has brought together and placed in your life here, in this place, inside this room, those who aren't even in this room today, but identify with this local church body, all of them are here by his perfect design, and he does not make mistakes. God has put us into relationship with one another for a purpose. And the Bible tells us that purpose is for our good and ultimately for his glory. So over the next five weeks, we're going to have a fairly constant call to response from us, a fairly appropriate response week after week after week. We are going to have to repent personally of our sinfulness, and we're going to have to deal with some of our brokenness and our issues. We are going to have to, over the next five weeks, ask some people, maybe a lot of people, for forgiveness. We are going to have to personally forgive other people. We're going to have to do the work, the hard work that we need the Holy Spirit to empower and enable us to do if we are going to obey these commands that are laid out for us in Scripture and live like real Christians live. But the subtitle of this series for the next five weeks is very intentional. We're going to talk about how we have relationships with one another and what I really believe about these relationships is that they are worth the work. They are worth the work. So when I came here, 
which happened as well when I was pastoring in Springfield, people would, would say to me uh, fairly often, you know, pastor, we really need you to step on our toes a bit. Gotta, gotta challenge us. We need to be challenged and grow, right? You've said that maybe. You've heard someone say that. Here's the thing. That's really easy to say. That's really uncomfortable when it's our toes getting stepped on. And this series might be a little bit of that. It is for me. I'm reading through these 59 verses, and I'm, I'm structuring these sermons, and, and this is not just me. Again, I'm not sitting back, falling into Satan's trap, going, yeah, so-and-so's really bad at that. That guy's awful. I'm sitting there going, Lord, I am falling short in some of these ways. Help me repent. Help me seek restoration and, and reconciliation with other people. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Help me forgive others who have wronged me. i got to do this work just like you have to do this work. And it will be uncomfortable at times. It will be difficult for us in moments. But this is what we're called to do. We have to personally respond by repenting and resolving to obey God's commands for our relationships with one another. Personally, you've got to make this commitment if you're going to come out of this series in five weeks any different than you are when you walked into this room today. So we're going to prepare in just a few moments to take a little bit of time to respond. But I want us to do that with two very striking things that Jesus also says about how important our relationships are and how proper repentance of our sinful ways matters. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 24 tell us this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fires of hell. So, Jesus continues, so, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, we also read this from Jesus. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you and your trespasses. So like I said, personally, it's going to be uncomfortable <laughs> in moments. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging to us. Because the response that Jesus says you and I need to start out with today is dealing with what is within us. Dealing with our sinfulness, dealing with our bitterness, dealing with our wrongs, dealing with our unforgiveness of other people. Jesus says, deal with those things before you do anything else. Before worshiping, before offering him sacrifices and praise. That means... Wendy's going to come in, in a few moments and lead us in a song. Before you join in singing that song, you have to do this work of forgiving others and seeking to be forgiven and reconciled. And maybe for you, you're thinking, okay, there's some forgiveness I need to do. There's some forgiveness I need to receive. That seems impossible, honestly. Maybe you're even fighting it. Maybe you don't want to do that work 
of asking for forgiveness or forgiving someone else. Maybe what's happening is the self-righteousness and self-justification that we often engage in. What is the deceptiveness of sin in our hearts and in our minds is trying to convince you right now that it's just better for you to stay angry and bitter. That's the right response to everything. He doesn't know what he's talking about in your life. Your situation's different. Listen, Satan is the one who's whispering those words to you. He's trying to convince you that you're the superior person. You're more spiritual. The problem's everyone else, not you. You're good. You're good. That is the deception of sin, and it is deadly to our souls. The enemy wants you to resist this, but Jesus is calling us to respond and repent today. So if we turn our minds to the gospel message, no matter how much of a struggle it is going on in you, no matter how unwilling you feel to do this, no matter how impossible you think the task may be, if you would turn your mind to the gospel message, you should be encouraged, you should be challenged, and you should be convicted on this point. Go back to Romans 15, 7. What's it say? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The gospel message is the motivation for us. Think Christian, about how God has welcomed you into his family. To do that means Jesus forgives our sins. He restores us. He repairs the broken relationship that we have with him. He's the one who initiates that and reconciles us to himself. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 tells us, for in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Romans 5, 8 to 10 tells us of the gospel, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Jesus reconciles his people to himself. He forgives us. He makes peace with us. He transforms our relationship with him. If you're a Christian, that's what's happened for you. So you can do nothing different in your relationship with other people. If he's done that for you, he has enabled you to do that with other people, to live in light of his work of forgiveness in our relationships with one another. God explicitly tells us this is the connection because of what he's done, because of his relationship with us, how your relationship with others should be impacted. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 tells us, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's the connection. If you're a Christian, if you have been forgiven, you must forgive those in your life who maybe have wronged you, maybe really have sinned against you, maybe really did mess up. But the reality that Scripture tells us is you've done far worse to God. And he has forgiven you. If you think it's impossible to forgive the person that you are angry with or you've been hurt by, then what you need is to experience and live in light of God's forgiveness for you. You need the salvation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You and I, we're all sinners who are far more offensive to God, who have, who have violated the relationship with God in far greater ways than anyone has ever been towards you. You and I are rebels to the one true king. You and I are perpetual idol worshipers, always trying to displace the one true God from his throne. You and I are ungrateful fools who keep trying to take the good gifts of the one true creator and use them and enjoy them without any recognition of who he is, any worship and praise of the God who's made all those things. And yet, in Christ, through his death, God forgives his people of all their sins. So today, if you've just never experienced that kind of forgiveness if you've never become a Christian, if you've never had your sins forgiven like this, then, then today's the day to experience that because you have to experience that before any real transformation with those around you can occur. Today's the day. Come to faith in Christ. Lay down your sins. Acknowledge them. Repent of them. Trust that Jesus' blood, his blood is the means by which he reconciles all things in heaven and earth to himself. Trust in him. Believe in him and experience his forgiveness of your sins today. And if you are a Christian, if that's, that's what you profess, if you have at some point experienced God's forgiveness in your life, then today you must experience it again and live in light of it. So now we need to respond. I'm just going to ask Wendy to come. It's just going to be her this morning. She's going to play a simple song. And she's going to sing, and there's going to be a few moments of chance for us to respond to him this morning. And we're going to have to do some work. We're going to have to dig into our own hearts. We are going to have to ask God with this very dangerous and uncomfortable prayer for us to pray, God, expose my sins, root out my bitterness, bring to mind my brokenness, help me repent. We need God to apply the gospel afresh in our hearts and to motivate us to extend the implications of that, of his forgiveness for us to our relationships with one another. We need to understand it really is truly hard work to know one another, to open up and to live with other people and be known by them, by all the one another's that God's put around us. But it really is worth the work. So let's ask God to work in us and cause us now to rightly respond to his word this morning. Father, we thank you for the clarity that you've given us. Not necessarily the comfort of all the things you have said, Lord, these commands are difficult. They're weighty. They're hard to apply. These 59 things that you tell us to do, Lord, they feel far beyond us at times. The comfort is not in what you have said for us to do. The comfort is found in the fact that you have already done this for us. So this morning, Lord, as we take these, these few moments to examine our own hearts and to examine our own relationships and to examine the places where our sinfulness, our brokenness, our bitterness is, has damaged the relationships around us, Lord, help us to repent, to remember the forgiveness that you have extended to us if we have come to faith in you. Help us to feel and experience that in these moments and to then in turn extend that to those that you have put all around us, all these one another's, Lord that you've put around us. Help us to live in obedience to your commands because we've experienced the grace of your forgiveness. Help us respond and repent, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're going to end a little differently today. If you're in the altars and still praying, I want to encourage you to do that. We're going to turn on some music in the back in just a moment. I'm just going to encourage you to leave this place reflectively and quietly. If you need to stay and pray, you're welcome to do that. The altars are open. Your seats are available. I'm just going to pray the Lord's blessing over us and that this work that he's doing right now will continue in each one of us. And then if you need to go, you're free. You can just head out the back, do so quietly so others can pray and continue to respond to God this morning. All right, Father, thank you for working in us. Spirit, we know that you're here working among your people to, to apply these things to our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that each one of us, whether we choose to stay in these moments or, or we, we have to leave for some reason, that you would continue this work of leading us to repentance, leading us to a right relationship with you, and letting that impact how we choose to interact with those around us. God, help us to know you, to know others, and to be known by others. We pray you continue to work in us in this place today and throughout this week. It's in your name we pray.